Chapter Two of The Romance of a Christmas Card. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Allison Hester. The Romance of a Christmas Card by Kate Douglas Wiggins. Chapter Two. It's never good of me to come talk with you, Letty and the minister's wife sank into a comfortable seat and took off her rigolette. Enough virtue has gone out of me today to Christianize an entire heathen nation. Oh, how I wish Luther would go and preach to a tribe of cannibals somewhere and make me superintendent of the Sabbath school. How I should like to deal, just for a change, with some simple problem, like the undesirability and indigestibility involved in devouring your next-door neighbor. Now I pass my life in saying, love your neighbor as yourself, which is far more difficult than to say, don't eat your neighbor, it's such a disgusting habit, and wrong besides, though I dare say they do it in half the time because the market's so bad. The first thing I'd do would be to get my cannibals to raise sheep. If they ate more mutton, they wouldn't eat so many missionaries. Letty laughed. You're so funny, Reba, dear, and I was so sad before you came in. Don't let the minister take you to the cannibals until after I die. No danger. Letty, do you remember I told you I'd been trying my hand on some verses for a Christmas card? Yes, have you sent them anywhere? Not yet. I couldn't think of the right decoration and color scheme and was afraid to trust it all to the publishers. Now I've found just what I need for one of them, and you gave it to me, Letty. I? Yes, you, tonight, as I came down the road. The house looked so quaint, backed by the dark cedars and the moon, and the snow made everything dazzling. I could see the firelight through the open window, the Hessian soldier andirons, your mother's portrait, the children asleep in the next room, and you, wrapped in your cape, waiting or watching for something or somebody. I wasn't watching or waiting. I was dreaming, said Letty hurriedly. You looked as if you were watching, anyway, and I thought if I were painting the picture, I would call it expectancy, or the vigil, or century duty. However, when I make you into a card, Letty, nobody will know what the figure at the window means till they read my verses. I'll give you the house, the room, the andirons, and even Mother's portrait, but you don't mean you want to put me on the card. And Letty turned like a startled deer as she rose and brushed a spark from the hearth rug. No, not the whole of you, of course, though I'm not clever enough to get a likeness even if I wished. I merely want to make a color sketch of your red-brown cape, your hair that matches it, your ear, an inch of cheek, and the eyelashes of one eye, if you please, ma'am. That doesn't sound quite so terrifying and Letty looked more manageable. Nobody'll ever know that a real person sat at a window and that I saw her there. But when I send the card with a finished picture and my verse is so beautifully lettered on it, the printing people will be more likely to accept it. And if they do, shall I have a dozen to give my Bible class? asked Letty in a wheedling voice. You shall have more than that. I'm willing to divide my magnificent profits with you. You will have furnished the picture and I the verses. It's wonderful, Letty. It's providential. You are a Christmas card tonight. It seems so strange that you even put the lighted candle in the window when you never heard my verse. 
the candle caught my eye first and i remembered the christmas customs we studied for the church festival the light to guide the christ child as he walks through the dark streets on the eve of mary yes i thought of that said letty flushing a little i put the candle there first so that the house shouldn't be all dark when the pofums went by to choir meeting and just then i i remembered and was glad i did it these are my verses letty and reba's voice was soft as she turned her face away and looked at the flames mounting upward in the chimney my door is on the latch to-night the hearth fire is aglow i seem to hear swift passing feet the christ child in the snow my heart is open wide to-night for stranger kith or kin i would not bar a single door where love might enter in there was a moment's silence and letty broke it it means the sort of love that the christ child brings with peace and good will in it i'm glad to be a part of that card reba so long as nobody knows me and here she made an impetuous movement and covering her eyes with her hands burst into a despairing flood of confidence the words crowding each other and tumbling out of her mouth as if they feared to be stopped after i put the candle on the table i could not rest for thinking i wasn't ready in my soul to light the christ child on his way i was bitter and unresigned it is three years to-night since the children were born and each year i have hoped and waited and waited and hoped thinking that david might remember david my brother their father then the fire on the hearth the moon and the snow quieted me and i felt that i wanted to open the door just a little no one will notice that it's ajar i thought but there's a touch of welcome in it anyway and after a few minutes i said to myself it's no use david won't come but i'm glad the firelight shines on mother's picture for he loved mother and if she hadn't died when he was scarcely more than a boy things might have been different the reason i opened the bedroom door something i never do when the babies are asleep was because i needed a sight of their faces to reconcile me to my duty and take the resentment out of my heart and it did flow out reba out into the stillness it is so dazzling white outside i couldn't bear my heart to be shrouded in gloom poor letty and mrs larrabee furtively wiped away a tear how long since you have heard i didn't dare ask not a word not a line for nearly three months and for the half year before that it was nothing but a note sometimes with a five-dollar bill enclosed david seems to think it the natural thing for me to look after his children as if there could be no question of any life of my own you began wrong letty you were born a prop and you've been propping somebody ever since i've done nothing but my plain duty when my mother died there was my stepfather to nurse but i was young and strong i didn't mind and he wasn't a burden long poor father then after four years came the shock of david's reckless marriage when he asked if he might bring that girl here until her time of trial was over it seemed to me i could never endure it but there were only two of us left david and i i thought of my mother and said yes i remember letty i had come to beulah then yes and you know what eva was how david how anybody could have loved her i cannot think well he brought her and you know how it turned out 
David never saw her alive again, nor ever saw his babies after they were three days old. Still, what can you expect of a father who is barely twenty-one? If he's old enough to have children, he's old enough to notice them, said Mrs. Larrabee with her accustomed spirit. Somebody ought to jog his sense of responsibility. It's wrong for women to assume men's burdens beyond a certain point. It only makes them more selfish. If you only knew where David is, you ought to bundle the children up and express them to his address. Not a word of explanation or apology. Simply tie a tag on them, saying, here's your twins. But I love the babies, said Letty, smiling through her tears, and David may not be in a position to keep them. Then he shouldn't have had them, retorted Reba promptly, especially not two of them. There's such a thing as a man's being too lavish with babies when he has no intention of doing anything for them but bring them into the world. If you had a living income, it would be one thing, but it makes me burn to have you stitching on coats to feed and clothe your half-brother's children. Perhaps it doesn't make any difference now, sighed Letty, pushing her hair back with an abstracted gesture. I gave up a good deal for the darlings once, but that's past and gone. Now, after all, they're the only life I have, and I'd rather make coats for them than myself. Letty Boynton had never said so much as this to Mrs. Larrabee in the three years of their friendship, and on her way back to the parsonage, the minister's wife puzzled a little over the look in Letty's face when she said, David seemed to think there could be no question of any life of my own, and again, I gave up a good deal for the darlings once. Luther, she said to the minister, when the hymns had been chosen, the sermon pronounced excellent, and they were toasting their toes over the sitting-room fire. Luther, do you suppose there ever was anything between Letty Boynton and your dick? No, he answered reflectively. I don't think so. Dick always admired Letty and went to the house a great deal, but I imagine that was chiefly for David's sake, for they were as like as peas in a pod in the matter of mischief. If there had been more than friendship between Dick and Letty, Dick would never have gone away from Beulah, or if he had gone, he surely would have come back to see how Letty fared. A fellow yearns for news of the girl he loves, even when he is content to let silence reign between him and his old father. What makes you think there was anything particular, Reba? What makes anybody think anything? I wonder why some people are born props, and others leaners or twinners. I believe the very nursing bottle leaned heavily against Letty when she lay on her infant pillow. I didn't know her when she was a child, but I believe that when she was eight, all the other children of three and five in the village looked to her for support and guidance. It's a great vocation, that of being a prop smiled the minister, as he peeled a red Baldwin apple, carefully preserving the spiral and eating it first. I suppose the wobbly vine thinks it's grand to be a stout trellis when it needs one to climb on, but doesn't the trellis ever want to twine, I wonder? And Reba's tone was doubtful. Even the trellis leans against the house, Reba. Well, Letty never gets a chance either to lean or to twine. Her family, her friends, her acquaintances, even the stranger within her gates will pass trees, barber poles, telephone and telegraph poles, convenient corners of buildings, fence posts, ladders, and lightning rods for the sake of winding their weakness around her strength. 
when she sits down from sheer exhaustion, they come and prop themselves against her back. If she goes to bed, they climb up on the footboard, hang a drooping head, and look her wistfully in the eye for sympathy. Prop on, prop ever, seems to be the underlying law of the universe. Poor Reba, she is talking of Letty and thinking of herself. And the minister's eyes twinkled. Well, a little, admitted his wife, but I'm only a village prop, not a family one. Where you are concerned, and she administered an affectionate pat to his cheek as she rose from her chair, I am a trellis that leans against a rock. End of chapter 2